This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, we have not done Q&A in a while, so we are getting back at it. And guys, if you want to be included on a future Q&A episode, all you got to do is hit us up. Usually either Instagram or email is kind of the easiest. So Instagram, just at Undaunted Life. Respond to any of the pictures that we post and just give us a question. It can be about anything. It can be a small thing, a big thing, as you'll see uh, with the podcast today. But also shoot us an email, info at undaunted.life. Again, that's info at undaunted.life. And before we get into the first question of the day, I just want to encourage you guys, if you've not left us a review yet and you feel like we deserve a five-star review, guys, that is how this podcast continues to get out to more and more people because when people listen to another podcast and ours is listened to quite a bit as well, they can connect to us, we can connect to them, and you can continue to get great content. So again, if we deserve a five-star review, go ahead and leave us a five-star review, and in addition to that, leave us three, four sentences just letting us know what specifically about the content it is that you enjoy. So without further ado, let's go ahead and launch into the first question of the day. Should Christians watch R-rated movies? Um, okay, so with this question, I feel like I'm going to say a lot of things I said. I, I don't remember what Q&A podcast episode it would have been. It would have been nine or eight or something like that. But I was asked, should Christians watch Game of Thrones? Okay, And so here's the thing. Obviously, whenever I uh, talked about on that episode, Game of Thrones is a show that has a lot of violence, a lot of sex. It has language, basically everything that you can't do on cable. That's why they do it on HBO. Right. And so they use a lot of poetic license to really stretch the boundaries on that show. And the same can be said for a lot of R-rated movies. And I even just think about over my lifespan, I mean, I was born in 1986 and, you know, when I got into like junior high and high school, I was able to start listening or start watching R-rated movies rather. And the things that were R-rated back in the day versus what we see in R-rated movies now, and I don't want to sound like an old curmudgeon, but it's like, man. I feel like things are getting way, way worse. Like I remember even in high school, I loved watching horror films. Like, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, you got all your buddies together, you either went to the movies or, you know, watched it at somebody's house. And it was like, you know, you didn't want to be the one that got scared and, you know, like jumped or anything like that. But it's like back in the day, it was like, okay, kind of true crimey type stuff, like stuff like Scream and, you know, things that are kind of in that genre. It's like, okay, you could absolutely see somebody actually getting a, you know, suit and a knife and a mask and, you know, going out and, you know, destroying an entire town. But now a lot of the horror films seem to be way more on the satanic side of things, right? It's about people that have been possessed or just this unbelievable, unspeakable evil. And so I feel like horror films have gotten, you know, more severe and more intense in that aspect. And I feel like a lot of R-rated movies have gotten on that way. But I guess the way that I would answer this question would be if you feel like you are going to sin because of the things that might influence you in one of those R-rated movies, then you shouldn't watch it, right? If you feel like there's nothing that you can get out of that, that will help you uh, operate in today's culture or to, you know, benefit in your friendships or to have things in common with other people, then just skip it. And guys, here's the thing. There's a lot of movies that are R-rated that off the top of your head, you know, aren't movies that are going to cause, you know, call into question your salvation. Like if you watch Braveheart, that's an R-rated movie, right? And Eve has a sex scene in there, right? There's, there's boobs in that movie for, for a very short period of time. But whenever you think back and think about that movie, you probably think about a hundred other things in that movie other than the sex scene. But here's the deal. If you watch a movie like that and you have very, very violent tendencies in your heart, and that's something that you have to war against inside your soul, something that you need the Holy Spirit to help you get over, you probably shouldn't watch a movie with that much violence in it. You see what I'm saying? 
And so I feel like if it causes you to stumble, and, and the, I guess the easiest one here, guys, is most R-rated movies are rated that for three things. One, language. Two, violence. Three, sex. And, and not necessarily in that order. And guys, if you have a problem with pornography, if you have a problem with masturbation, if you have a problem with lust, most R-rated movies are just out for you. And guys, just to be honest with you, I've saved myself and my marriage and all the things in between a lot of trouble by just going to internet movie database, imdb.com, typing in a movie and then clicking on the parents guide. Because there have been movies that I've been like super, super pumped about, right? And and pumped because of the storyline, because the trailer looked good, because good action, because my friend saw it and liked it, whatever the situation might be. But then I look at the adult or at the, the parental guide on IMDB. And it's just like, you know, just covered in sex. And of course, as with most every sex scene in every show and every movie, it doesn't add anything. It doesn't add anything to the plot. It doesn't add anything to the movie overall. It's just something for weirdos to get off on. Right. It's, it's very marketable. It sells. It hits that demographic that they need, right? But that's the thing is there have been a lot of movies that I've just skipped because it's like, man, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it to have that level of temptation. And for me, lust is is one of my big temptations. So it's like, you know, I'm just going to skip this one. There are literally two other movies that I could watch in the place of this one that aren't going to, you know, tempt me to, you know, stumble or something like that. So should Christians watch R-rated movies? I think it's fairly contextual to the Christian and to the movie itself. But in general, I would say it's okay unless you think that you're going to sin. Okay. Next question. Do you like Westerns? And if so, which is your favorite? So, uh, okay. Westerns. So obviously I grew up around the same time as a lot of you guys listening to this. And so I, you know, laid in bed next to my dad and we're watching, you know, Clint Eastwood Westerns and John Wayne Westerns and stuff like that. And I just loved it because I was around my dad. Right. And it was just kind of one of those cool things that you can share with your father. But as an adult, I can tell you that I way more enjoy modern Westerns than I do the old ones. Okay. And so you might be asking like, okay, what what is a modern Western? Okay. So some of my favorite modern Westerns are like, um, like hell or high water. Um, no country for old men. Wind river is another one. I think that was made by the same guy as hell or high water. Uh, there's a movie, uh, called hostels. That was a good one. Uh, there was one that was like set in Australia called the proposition. I think that may have been even a remake of an old one or something like that. But again, it's those modern Westerns because here's the thing. I just gotta be honest with you guys. When those old Westerns come on, on television, or as you're like clicking through Netflix or Amazon or something like that. And you see an old Western guys, it is so hard for me to enjoy those films. It is so unbelievably difficult. And the reason is, is just because we've had modern movie making for a really, really long time. We've had modern acting and modern action and CGI and those types of things. And so when you go watch those old films, I get super distracted by how goofy the acting is, how ridiculous, like when someone gets shot and they end up stumbling around for 17 minutes before they fly through the window. Like it's those types of things that are just really, really weird. And so it's kind of one of those deals where it's like, there's certain bands that your parents listen to that you just don't understand. You just don't get like, why would anyone like this band? Well, if you grew up in the same era that they did that was like the best of the best right like i'm again i've talked about this before and i know you guys don't like it i'm not a star wars person either because whenever i saw the first star wars what was that is that episode four i'm sorry nerds i don't really know what what the thing is but i think it's episode four when i first saw that i was like this is dumb looking like compared to some of the stuff that we see now it's dumb looking but if you watched that at the time it would have been absolutely astonishingly mind-blowing that you could do that on film Right. And so, uh, again, kind of getting back to the question here, I do like Westerns like it's there's a lot of me that feels like I should not have been born 
the way I was born into the family that I was born in. I should have been born on a ranch in Montana, helping out with cattle on horseback all day. I feel like I'm, I'm much more attracted to that type of lifestyle for whatever reason. So I really do dig the Westerns. But again, I, I am more so into the modern Westerns. All right, next question. All right, another movie question, three in a row. So here he goes. What is your favorite movie? So this one's an easy one. And I don't see anyone really coming up and challenging this movie, but it is Gladiator. Um, that is funny enough compared to the first question. That's the first R-rated movie that I was actually allowed to go see. I went and saw it with my sister and, and our babysitter way, way back in the day. I was so excited to see that movie. It didn't disappoint. And that's another one of those movies that I will rewatch at least once a year, once every other year, something like that. And I feel like I get something more out of it. I just love everything about the story. I'm incredibly interested in Roman history in that time period. Like it's just, it's an overwhelmingly good film. And there are other films that, that are up there that I really have enjoyed. Um, and, you know, some of them are period pieces. Like I mentioned Braveheart earlier. I really enjoyed that film. And there's there's some really, really great films out there that I rewatch. I mean, Hell or High Water is a film that I've watched over and over, really, these last several years. I've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of that. Uh, you know, Zero Dark Thirty. There's just there's a lot of films like that. But nothing really takes a cake like Gladiator. All right, guys, next question. What is your favorite Instagram account to follow? Okay, so um, so I've got my personal Instagram at Kyle OKC, and then we've got the Undaunted Life Instagram. But um, probably my two favorite to follow. I, I can't just do one. So sorry, whoever asked this question. But I, I like Juji Mufu. So if you don't know what I just said, Juji Mufu. So that's J U J I. M-U-F-U. Okay. So Juji Mufu. So there, this is this guy that he went viral several years back because there was a video of him with his shirt off in a pair of like sweatpants. And he's got one foot on, on, he's got one foot each on a, like, uh, like a folding chair or something like that. And then he's overhead. He's got a barbell with like 135 pounds on it. Right. So he's got a 45 on either side. And then you just see this guy do the splits slowly with the barbell over his head and he's just doing the splits and he's kind of like a long hair, like blonde guy and he starts screaming and then, you know, he gets all the way down into a full split and then he chucks the barbell and that was kind of the, the video that made him go viral. And so he's got, I think, well over a million uh, subscribers or followers on Instagram now. And he just does all these insanely athletic things that make me feel like the fattest, most unathletic person possible on the planet because this guy weighs... I don't know. He probably weighs at least, I mean, close to 250 pounds, but this guy can do the splits. He's an incredible gymnast. He can do like these crazy backflips and, you know, whatever gainer flips in the air, just all this crazy nonsense. But the dude's like a, like a lunatic. He's hilarious. And so he won't just do a video of him doing deadlift, which would be impressive enough because he's like an unbelievably strong human being, but he does it wearing like this cow head and he's surrounded by fire and he's got friends in the background throwing chalk at one another. And so it's just, it's a guy that I wish would post more, but it's kind of one of those things. Like if he posted two or three things a day, I think it would get a little bit old. So I, he may post one or two things a week, but that's a really good one. And then the other one is, uh, at Steve butcher tattoos. So Steve spelled normally butcher spelled normally and tattoos. So this guy might be the most talented tattoo artist on the planet. This guy does a lot of photorealism tattoos. So if you're on Instagram or Twitter, you've probably seen this guy's work just randomly. He's done a lot of tattoos of like Kobe Bryant, Russell Westbrook. And, you know, he did that famous photo of uh, Dwayne Wade throwing that alley-oop to LeBron James when they were on the Miami Heat. He, but he's done like animal uh, portraits. He's done all kinds of crazy things. But when you look at the videos and the pictures of the stuff that he's done, it doesn't even look real. 
Like it, it looks, it looks so unbelievably good that you're like, this has got to be like a CGI video or got to be a Photoshop picture. But this guy is doing photorealism at a level that I've never seen before. And so I'm, I'm really into black and gray. That's why all of my tattoo work is black and gray. And part of the reason is, is because when most people try to do photorealism, it turns out really, really poorly, especially when they try to bring color in. But uh, again, just, I uh, just trust me, look up the guy. Actually, I'll, you know what? I'll put the, uh, I'll put the links to this guy's page here at the end so you can check that out okay next question what is your favorite instagram account you've recently followed okay so um there's a couple that i've recently followed that i think you guys would really enjoy there's one that i just followed literally like yesterday as of the recording of this it's we the people holsters so that's at we the people holsters and the reason why i followed them is because actually i heard of them on uh the ben shapiro podcast but also some other different places and my dad just bought me a new holster for uh my sig 1911 from them it's got the uh don't tread on me flag kind of print on there which is really really cool i'm uh, excited to check that out but they've got a cool account that you can follow and the next one is pat mcnamara so i think i've talked about pat mcnamara before on this podcast uh he did a podcast show with joe rogan um he got on and was uh, God, I forgot what what all he was doing, but he's like a survivalist guy, but he was also, I think, an SF guy. But his uh, Instagram handle is at TMAX Inc. So at T-M-A-C-S-I-N-C. But the, the cool thing about this guy is he's kind of got this ridiculous look and this like, you know, really long chin hair that comes to a point and all that. But this guy's like, I think, close to 60 years old. And the videos he posts of him working out are absolutely insane. I freaking love it because everyone kind of thinks about in terms of their body, whether you're 20 years old or 30 or 40 or 50, whatever the thing is, you always kind of look at that next stage of life and you're kind of like, man, well, I'll be out of my, my athletic prime and I guess I won't be able to do this and I won't be able to do that. But this dude does does some amazing things physically and he's just a really simple guy really simple diet basically just meat meat and veggies and that type of a thing but he's just in incredible shape and so he's an inspiration to me that I'm like okay when I'm twice my age now thereabouts or you know 20 years older than I am now when I'm around his age it's totally possible to still be in the game it's totally possible to still be a sheepdog it's possible to be prepared and you know you don't have to just succumb to life because you turned 30 or because you turned 40 and it's like I guess I'll get fat and be out of shape now no so that's a guy that'll get you really really fired up all right guys next question well, actually, I guess it's not necessarily a question. Some of you guys are wondering uh, what my predictions are for some upcoming UFC fights. So there's a lot of really good fights coming up this year. And actually, by the time this podcast is released, there's going to be another one. So I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to predict a fight now that hasn't happened yet. But by the time you hear this, it will have happened. So it's Colby Covington versus Robbie Lawler. Okay. So that's actually coming up. I'm recording this on a Monday and it's coming up this Saturday. So I'm very excited for this fight because of the implications it has for the 170 pound division, the welterweight division in the UFC, because Kamaru Usman is currently the champion. He absolutely destroyed Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley is still technically the the number one contender, but no one's really dying to watch him uh, get back into that fight, especially because of how easily Kamaru Usman dealt with him. But the interim champion that the guy that should have been fighting Tyron Woodley was Colby Covington because Colby Covington absolutely murdered RDA. He murdered RDA. And I did not think that was happening. I thought RDA was going to smoke him. And it was an absolute, 
absolute slaughter by Colby Covington. And so Colby was was supposed to get like uh, nasal surgery and the UFC just wanted to put Tyron into a fight quickly. And so they put him in with Usman. And then, you know, all the heat in that division is basically between Tyron Woodley and Colby Covington. And now all of a sudden, you know, Tyron's not the champion anymore. But Robbie Lawler is always that guy that you just can't count him out. He, he almost put away Ben Askren before Ben Askren got the choke. And for any of you guys wondering, I do not think that was an early stoppage. I think Ben Askren did choke out Robbie Lawler with that bulldog choke. He was out for a second. Herb Dean did the right thing by stepping in and stopping that fight. But back to this. I think Colby Covington is going to wear out Robbie Lawler. And this is why. And it's crazy to even say that because Robbie Lawler is an absolute maniac, like cyborg Terminator type guy. But we've already kind of technically seen this fight before. Because RDA beat the brakes off of Robbie Lawler uh, a, a while back, right? And so in that fight, Robbie Lawler did hurt his knee, but RDA put an unbelievable pace on Robbie Lawler. And here's the thing. Colby Covington, like I said earlier, beat the brakes off of RDA. He put a pace on RDA that RDA couldn't keep up with. It, I mean, it was one of the more impressive things I've seen cardio wise. I mean, using cardio as a weapon inside the UFC. And so again, I know MMA math doesn't work out exactly, but it's like Colby beat RDA, RDA beat Robbie Lawler. You know, Robbie Lawler shouldn't be able to touch Colby Covington, but these guys were also teammates at the time. I think they were both at ATT together. And so that was something that, you know, there, there's a little bit of storyline there. Dana White's already came out and said that he thinks Colby Covington, uh, or he says that Colby Covington will be getting the title shot if he beats Robbie Lawler. So that's just kind of where I'm at. I think Colby Covington's going to win that fight. But again, like I said, the fight has already happened by the time you're listening to this. So I'm either sound like an unbelievable genius or I sound like a weirdo. So it's just kind of how it goes. But let's go ahead and get into some other fight cards that we have coming up. So at UFC 241, that's on August 17th, we have Cormier versus Miacic 2. Then we also have on that fight card, Anthony Pettis versus Nate Diaz and Yoel Romero versus Paulo Costa. So let's start with Yoel Romero and Paulo Costa. So that is the battle for the best body in the history of the planet Earth. So here's the thing, guys. I'm not gay. But those are two of the most beautiful human beings I've ever seen in my entire life. Like they look like they were created in a lab, both of these guys, right? Whatever Rocky movie that was, whenever he went against a guy that looked like he was created in a lab in Russia, that's exactly what this one is. But Yoel Romero is, is, is he's in his forties, but genetically he's a freak, but he just, he just an unbelievable looking athlete and his performance in the octagon is the exact same. And Paulo Costa is, is the same. He's a Brazilian fighter, an up and coming Brazilian fighter. This is kind of one of those things where if Yoel Romero wins, he basically vaults himself to a title shot again. And if Paulo Costa wins, he's basically probably one fight away from a title shot is, would be what I would assume. Uh, I think the, the real interesting thing about this fight is Yoel Romero has not fought since June of 2018. That's when he fought Robert Whitaker in a fight where I felt he won, but he actually lost via decision. Robert Whitaker kept his belt. And don't worry, we'll talk more about Whitaker here in just a second. But Yoel Romero has been out for over a year. Again, father time is undefeated. This guy is well into his 40s. Um, and Paulo Costa is that up and coming guy. But here's the thing is until further, further notice, I think Yoel Romero is the best 185 pounder in the world. Uh, in my opinion, I feel like he should have won those fights. He did more damage to Robert Whitaker, but in terms of the 10-9 system for five rounds, I can see how you give it to Robert Whitaker. But unless Paulo Costa's got something special, I think Yoel Romero is that dude still in that division. And so I got my money on Yoel. Now the we'll keep working our way up the card. Now you have Anthony Pettis and the return of Nate Diaz. So right from the beginning, I'll tell you guys, not a Diaz brothers fan. A lot of you guys out there love Nick and Nate. I, they're they're just annoying to me, right? And I I didn't like Nate for years years before he fought Connor. So that has nothing to do with Connor McGregor and all that kind of stuff. It's just, they're annoying dudes, 
and I'm not a huge fan of their fighting style, kind of like the, the the pillow hands type stuff. Now, I, I do like and respect how they've been able to perform over a long period of time. But here's here's the thing that people don't like to talk about a lot. Nate Diaz isn't that great of a fighter. Like he's lost an unbelievable amount of fights. Like you'd be blown away at how many fights that he's lost, but he made his entire career by calling out Conor McGregor and then going in and backing it up and beating up Conor McGregor, right? Like that, that's what happened, but they have not, or Nate Diaz has not fought since August of 2016, August of 2016. If that sounds familiar, that's whenever Conor won the rematch, right? Five round decision over Nate Diaz right? So it's been a really long time since that guy's been in the octagon. It will have been over three years, right? Or right at three years by the time he gets back in the octagon. And the thing about Anthony Pettis, Anthony Pettis has been active. He just knocked out Wonder Boy. He looks great at 170 pounds. That's where this fight is going to be taking place, not at 155. And so that's the thing is just by virtue of the fact that Anthony Pettis has been more active, I've got to give the nod to Anthony Pettis here. And here's the other thing is Nate Diaz has kind of a swarming style, um, but I don't know that he has the skill to overwhelm Anthony Pettis. So Anthony Pettis got overwhelmed by Tony Ferguson when they fought last year. But the thing about that fight is he almost finished Tony Ferguson. He heard him in the first round, but then Tony is just an animal and, and absolutely put it on Pettis and Pettis actually broke his hand in that fight. So I think if nobody gets hurt actually in the fight, if we're just looking at fight X's and O's, I think Anthony Pettis takes this, this fight easily. I don't think that Nate Diaz is going to be able to box with him. Um, and that's kind of crazy to some of you guys that know Nate Diaz and know his boxing. But the thing with Anthony Pettis is he's a complete fighter, right? I don't think this fight is going to go to the ground. I don't think this is going to turn into a jiu-jitsu match. I think those guys kind of cancel each other out when it comes to how slick their jiu-jitsu is. But Anthony Pettis is going to go in there and be a kickboxer. And if we saw anything and learned anything from when Nate fought Connor, Connor wore out Nate Diaz front leg. Nate Diaz puts a ton of weight on that front leg and he does not check kicks and he doesn't change his stance either. He doesn't keep, you know, going back and forth between, you know, conventional and southpaw and all those different things. And so that's the thing is I think Anthony Pettis is going to wear out that front leg and do enough to win that fight. But then we get to the main event on UFC 241, and that is the big, big rematch between Stipe Miocic and uh, DC, Daniel Cormier. And so the thing about that fight is Stipe Miocic was the, the biggest... Uh, the biggest and best UFC heavyweight in the history of UFC heavyweights. Um, he defended his belt more times than anybody in UFC history. He beat a who's who of heavyweights. But then Daniel Cormier took his first fight up at heavyweight in a long time. Again, a lot of people forget that he started his career at heavyweight when he were, when he was doing stuff over in Strike Force. But then whenever he came over, uh, he wanted to do a light heavyweight because his teammate was fighting at heavyweight, Cain Velasquez. But then Cormier made his basically UFC debut at heavyweight and he starches Stipe Miocic in the first round. He knocks him out. It was a beautiful punch. It was from the clinch and then he just kind of brought a right hook, snuck that in there and absolutely put Miocic out. And here's the crazy thing about Miocic is in this fight, um, he took one shot from DC and it knocked him out, but he took several shots from Francis and Ganu, you know, in their title fight and it didn't put him out. So the thing about this fight that I think is going to be the difference is Cormier has been knocked out, knocked out recently. He was knocked out by John Jones. The only time he's been finished, 
but Stipe has been knocked out more recently. Neither one of these guys have fought since then. I don't know if you guys remember, but you know Brock Lesnar came in the ring or in the octagon after this fight and got in Daniel Cormier's face, and for basically six months it was dangled in front of us that we were going to get DC versus uh, Brock Lesnar. Then Brock Lesnar just basically went back to WWE. It was just kind of this thing. So Stipe and Cormier have not fought since they fought each other. But the thing about it is, is I don't think that Stipe is going to be able to control the octagon in terms of wrestling. Um, I don't think that he wants to necessarily get into a clinching match with DC either. And until further notice, Daniel Cormier is one of the greatest fighters of all time. Like outside of his fights to John Jones, one of which became a no contest, the one where he got knocked out because John Jones popped for PEDs. Um, he's the, he's one of the greatest fighters ever. He's one of the five greatest fighters we've ever seen in any weight class. Stipe is not necessarily in that conversation. I think Stipe is the greatest heavyweight in UFC history, but Cormier knocked him out. So I think Daniel Cormier is going to win again. I don't really know how it's going to happen. I don't necessarily think this is going to be a drawn out five round fight. These guys are just too heavy handed, but I got to give it to DC. So let's move down to UFC 242. That's in September. That's uh, September 7th. So one fight that we need to talk about on that is Habib Nurmagomedov versus Dustin Poirier. So if you remember, Dustin Poirier uh, just got through beating, not that long ago, beating Max Holloway. Uh, Max Holloway came up from 145 to 155, and they kind of did an interim title fight. And Dustin Poirier absolutely put it on one of the best fighters in the world in Max Holloway. He won four out of the five rounds. It wasn't particularly close. He looked way too strong for Max. He looked His boxing looked way too quick. It was, it was actually an incredible, incredible performance, but he's going to be thrown to the slaughter here. Um, I do not see anything in Dustin Poirier's game that makes me think he can beat Habib. The, the biggest thing about Habib is he's been his own worst enemy his entire career uh, because he's fought so many injuries. He had a huge swaths of his career that were completely wiped out or wiped out by, by injuries. And so that's just kind of one of those things with Habib is no one's going to be able to stop his takedowns. Right. And Dustin Poirier is not the wrestler that's going to stop Habib. Right. It's going to take a Ben Askren level, George St. Pierre level type of fighter to stop Habib's wrestling. Right. And Habib, even though he caught Connor with that overhand right, he does not have great stand up. I'm, I'm sure his stand up has improved, but his is a grinding style. And here's the thing, guys, is this is going to be a grinded out fight for Habib. He's just going to take Dustin Poirier down and he's going to ragdoll him. I don't think he finishes Dustin Poirier, but I do certainly think Habib wins this fight easily. Very, very easily. And then one week later, actually uh, free on television, UFC fight night is going to be Cowboy Cerrone, Donald Cerrone versus Justin Gaethje. Holy cow. This fight. Like at the moment it was announced, I mean, everyone's just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like that is going to be one of the most violent fight. Well, here's the thing. It's got Cowboy Cerrone and Justin Gaethje fighting. If they were fighting anybody else, it would be one of the most violent fights you would ever see because those two guys are involved, but they're going to be fighting each other. I mean, of all the fights that we're talking about here, and I'm excited about all of them. I'm excited about this one way more than those because there is a 0% chance that that's a boring fight. And I've, I've said that before. I said that whenever, um, oh gosh, who was it? Derek Lewis and uh, Francis Ngannou were supposed to fight. Or and when they did fight, right? I was like, there's no way this is a terrible fight. It ended up being literally one of the worst fights in UFC history. But you will not see a bad fight here. Uh, and to be honest with you, I can't imagine that this fight doesn't go to a finish somehow. I mean, again, this is going to be, a main, I'm pretty sure that's a main event. So that's a five round fight. That is way too long of a fight for how both of these guys fight. I mean, they do a ton of damage and I just don't really see a scenario where one of them doesn't get hit by the other or popped by the other. Um, 
And man, this is a coin flip of, of any coin flips. And I actually didn't really make a decision before the podcast what I thought the the uh, winner was going to be. But just here on the spot, I probably got to give it to Justin Gaethje. So uh, I don't think Justin Gaethje is necessarily a more complete fighter than Donald Cerrone. Uh, we don't really see Justin Gaethje use his wrestling at all. I don't think we're going to see Cowboy use his wrestling at all. I think this is going to be a stand-up fight. But Justin Gaethje just has a different level of dog in him. <laughs> And right as I say that, it's like, oh, he's fighting cowboy. They're pretty much the same person, right? But one wears a cowboy hat. But if I got to pick somebody, I'm going to pick Justin Gaethje. All right. And then the last fight we're going to talk about here is at UFC 243. And that's on October 5th. And that is going to be Robert Whitaker, Bobby Knuckles. He's going to be fighting Israel Adesanya. So Israel Adesanya has had a meteoric rise within the UFC. Uh, and that all came to a pass earlier this year, whenever he beat Kelvin Gastelum for the interim title in the best fight of 2019. And I know 2019 is just barely halfway over, there's not going to be a better fight than that. Like just how it ended up because a lot of people were thinking Israel was just going to go in there and work Kelvin over. I actually picked Kelvin to win that fight. That fight was 2-2 going into the fifth round. Israel Adesanya dug down and found that, that inner monster inside of him and ended up winning that fight. But the back and forth of that fight is actually the reason why I'm going to be picking Bobby Knuckles, Robert Whitaker to win this fight in Australia. So the thing about it is this is going to happen in the same stadium that Holly Holm knocked out Ronda Rousey. There's going to be about 60,000 people there. It'll probably be the biggest gate um, in terms of attendance in the history of the UFC. Um, They're probably going to be another title fight on that. I think they're going to get Volkanovsky versus Max on that fight card as well. So another guy from down in that area. But here's the thing. As big as that's going to be, Israel, you know, representing New Zealand and Robert Whitaker representing Australia. And as big as all that's going to be, I'm not sure Israel's on the same level as Whitaker. I'm just not not sure he's there. Um, because here's the thing about Kelvin Gastelum is I, I would pick Kelvin Gastelum against Robert Whitaker and against Israel Adesanya. Again, I just feel like he's he's got that guy. He's just that guy that he's not really good at anything in particular, but he's really good at fighting. But that's part of the reason why I think Israel Adesanya is going to lose this fight is because Kelvin Gastelum really worked Israel Adesanya over. He hurt him multiple times. I mean, Kelvin Gastelum is a 185 pounder and he's short. He's like 5'7". And he head kicked Israel Adesanya, who is supposed to be like, you know, the the next the, the style bender guy. Like you can't touch him. You can't get him. You can't, you know, can't land anything fancy on him. He got head kicked by a, a tiny guy. That's probably the smallest guy, shortest guy in the division. Robert Whitaker is great at everything. But the big difference with Robert Whitaker here is he has not fought since June of 2018. Again, when I was talking about Yoel Romero, he has not fought since 2018, right? That same fight. He, he got hurt. Since then, he's had some crazy stuff happen. And there's bad luck with him trying to fight in Australia, fighting his home country. You know, he had a collapsed bowel, I think, in before this last fight. They had to cancel, uh, you know, his fight at the very last minute. And so it's one of those things that I think if Robert Whitaker can get to the octagon, if he can actually walk through the octagon door and they can close it behind him and lock the door, I think he'll be fine. Um, I think Israel Adesanya is an unbelievable talent. I think he's he's incredibly uh, smooth in all the things that he does. And, you know, if you're into trash talking and all that, you're going to like a guy like that. But Robert Whitaker is just good at fighting. He's good at everything. He's good at striking. He's good at wrestling. And he has next level toughness. And to be honest with you, I, 
I just don't think Israel is going to do anything that special in that fight. I think Robert Whitaker has spent too much time preparing just to get back into the octagon to get caught by something something slick by Israel Adesanya. So I'm going to go with Bobby Knuckles. So that wraps up the little section right there. For So for those of you that don't like fighting, I'm really, really sorry that you had to endure that. But hey, maybe you learned something. So let's go ahead and launch into the next question here. Who was your favorite teacher ever? And what made them your favorite teacher? Um, this is a, a very clear answer for me. So this would be John Adair. He was my ninth grade English teacher. And so here's the thing about Mr. Adair is, well, here's the thing about me just in general going through school. So I had an older sister. She was one year older than me. And we were both in the same classes. We were in honors classes or AP classes. And so she would have the teacher, the, the same teacher I would, but she would have them the year before me. But my sister was kind of a sit in the front row type person, be really, really quiet, do her homework and, you know, make good grades and just not rock the boat. Whereas I, surprise, surprise, was more of the class clown, sit in the back of the class, try to get everybody to have a good time, but also had good grades. But I just basically, you know, ensured that my teacher was going to be a little bit tortured. Well, the first day that I'm walking to Mr. Ader's class, I'm, I'm kind of aware that He's an intense guy. He's got like this, you know, gray Afro thing and he like doesn't blink. And that's like one of his like legendary things that he's got like something in his eyes that like makes it to where he doesn't have to blink or something like that. So as I'm walking towards his class, me and one of my buddies, Chris, we, we start, you know, just messing around with each other in the hallway. So we're like punching each other back and forth, but not, not like in a fight, but like punching each other in the shoulder and those types of things. And John Adair comes out of his classroom and he basically says, young men, you better stop that right now. Stop that control yourselves. And it was, just, it was so shocking that I remember like, Oh shoot. And guess whose class I had that very next hour. Yeah. Mr. Adair. So I walk into that class about as sheepish and t- like tail tucked as you could possibly be. And I just sit down and I'm like, Oh no, this is going to be the worst year of my life. But Dr. Adair or not doctor, but Mr. Adair didn't say anything. He didn't say anything about it. Cause he said his piece in the hallway, right? He corrected us. He got us to stop, you know, farting around and then we got to it. But the thing about his class that was really interesting to me is, you know, he, he was very, very into Shakespeare and very into these novels that he was having us read. And the thing is, is in that class, I had some bad, some bad luck in that class. Like I'm not, like I've told you guys before, I wasn't the best reading comprehender. You know, I wasn't the best test taker. And we would always have this 100 question tests on these books that we were reading. And it was like a joke in that class because I almost always got an 89, right? And so this was in a 90 to 100 for an A scale, and I would get an 89 every time. And I mean, it happened so many times that the like the last time it happened, Mr. Adair came up to me and he's like, hey, Kyle, you're not going to believe this, but you got an 89 again. And I ran it through the Scantron machine, but then I hand graded it. You know, just in case the the Scantron got one of your marks wrong, I wanted to give you the benefit of the doubt, but I, you know, good job, but you got an 89. And so good teacher, very dutiful teacher. But the the reason why he's my favorite teacher is because of this, because our ninth grade baseball team was the best team maybe in the state that year. We didn't lose a game. We were absolutely incredible. Um, And, you know, so we had a lot of people come and watch our games uh, that had nothing to do with the team, didn't have kids on the team or anything like that. But I remember one game, Mr. Adair came and he sat next to my dad and he was there to see me specifically. Like there, to my knowledge, there wasn't another boy on the team that he had as a student at that time. 
But he came out there and he basically sat next to my dad and watched the entire game and cheered for me. And, and if I recall correctly, I think I hit a couple of doubles that game, had four or five RBIs, had had a good good day at the game. Now, he didn't say anything about it when we got to class the next day. He, he didn't do any of that type of thing, but he sat there and had a good conversation with my dad and, and you know talked about his class and talked about my upbringing and those types of things. But at, up to that point, I had never had a teacher really go out of his way to, you know, look at something that his student was doing outside of class. And it, it was just kind of this a matter of fact thing. And and I bet you if I ran into him again, which I haven't seen him in probably 20 years or something like that, I doubt he even remembers going to that baseball game. Or maybe he does, like who knows? But it made a huge impact on me that this guy would spend that amount of time just hanging out to, to just see how one of his students was doing. So favorite teacher of all time, Mr. Adair, ninth grade English. All right, guys, next question here. How much do you think your life would be different if you had grown up in a family that went to church? Uh, okay, so obviously this person has picked up on the uh, me kind of talking about in terms of my past. I didn't grow up in a family that went to church. You know, like most families in America, my you know my family they got my mom and dad got divorced when I was in like junior high, um, but we didn't really go to church. We were kind of nominally Christians because we were Oklahomans, right? So it's like you believe in God just because of where you're from. It was one of those types of situations. Um, okay, how much do you think your life would be different? Um, you know, uh, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, obviously I feel like there's some basic things, like there's a lot of biblical stories that most of you guys heard like about a hundred times when you were a kid, uh, that I didn't hear, right. I didn't do vacation Bible school. I didn't have, you know, church camp. I didn't have those things growing up. Like those were things that I, you know, tried to do like in high school. Right. So I was kind of late to the party. And so I think that would have obviously been different. I think my biblical acumen would have came along quite a bit faster, um, you know, I don't think if I had grown up in a family that went to church that my parents would still be together because obviously if you look at the divorce rates inside the church, they're pretty much the exact same as the divorce rates outside the church. Um, I feel like even if it happened accidentally, my mom and dad, uh, raised me pretty much along the lines of kind of a gospel centered lifestyle. Now we didn't pray. We didn't talk about God. We didn't do any of those things, but a lot of things they told me to do and not to do, I think would jive with what we learn uh, from scripture. Um, and I, again, those are two people that their families didn't really grow up going to church either. Um, I, I mean, to be honest with you, that that's such a tough question. I don't really know that much would have been different. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's something to be said for the church, uh, that it doesn't really have that big of an impact culturally, uh, and that there's still the exact same problems with churchgoers as, as everywhere else. There doesn't seem to be an issue except for the level of, of guilt and, uh, understanding of sin that really comes with that. But, um, yeah, I think the, the biggest thing would just be my overall level of comfort with, with things inside the church and the things that you learn from inside the church. I think that that would be, uh, where that would come from. Okay. So next question. If you could travel back to any time in history, what time would you go to? Um, okay, well, I'll, I'll take this a couple of different ways. So there's the, you know, if you could live in any other time in history, where would you want to live part? And that one's easy. I would want to live right now in 2019 in America, right? I mean, why would you want to go back to some other place where like it was really, really hard to get food and, you know, live past the age of 30? So I, I just, I'm not that, that interested in doing, doing that type of thing, but I'll, I'll take this maybe literally, like if I could just go back and like do like a vacation at any time in history, uh, what time would I go to? Um, I mean, is the cheap answer just like, you know, around the Mediterranean, you know, 
after Jesus died or maybe like in that area of the world when Jesus was living? I, I guess that would be like the basic answer. Like, obviously, I would want to be near Jerusalem when Jesus was ministering and doing those types of things. Um, but to be honest, I think I'd want to be in Rome. I mean, I talked about my interest in Roman history earlier. I think I'd want to be in Rome during like, you know, the, the Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, uh, you know, Caesar Augustus kind of time period whenever they were trying to do a lot of different things uh, to attract people and kind of expand. But to be honest with you, again, I even think a vacation would be pretty sad because you didn't just go to Walmart, you know, and get groceries. You didn't go to McDonald's and get something to eat. I mean, it was it was tough living back at that time, but that's a really interesting time period to me. So I think it'd be cool to see that in person. All right. Next question. I have a problem with passivity. It's a personality trait I wish I could overcome. What personality trait has gotten you in the most trouble? Okay, so uh, I think this guy and I are going to be pretty different because I don't really have a problem with passivity at all. Um, so it's literally the opposite that's really gotten me into into trouble. It's uh, my forthrightness and uh, kind of my my forward nature, kind of my intense nature, uh, and at the same time, just uh, overall anger. I mean, uh, kind of the em- embarrassing thing for me, and I've got a lot of good friends that they razz me about it, which, you know, it's it's completely fair. But man, I used to just absolutely lose my mind at the dumbest crap. Not like lose my mind, get in a bar fight, but like lose a video game, you know, throw my controller at the wall, like, you know, lose, you know, you know, fly out and softball or something like that and go and curse in the dugout. Like just, just stupid, like super immature, like boorish bull crap. Like that was kind of the deal, but it was all because of anger. I literally was with one of my friends over the last weekend and they're like, yeah, we knew Kyle when he was way less intense. Or, or way more intense, sorry, way more intense. And the people that were, were with him, they didn't know me back in the day. And so they look at me now and they're like, oh my gosh, Kyle's like the most intense dude ever. Uh, back in college, it was like a level of ridiculous intense that had like no governor on it, like wild Mustang type of thing. And so that's kind of the trait that has gotten me in the most trouble. But I will say this, I think the thing that has benefited me a lot and even just kind of creates this difference in even people that listen to this podcast is just basically being forward. I think the thing that I'm most complimented on on a podcast like this is thanks so much for not just making another Christian podcast that's super boring and super straightforward. Um, You know, thanks for challenging people and coming right at people. And so it's almost as if over my lifetime, I've been able to kind of morph a little bit of that nonsensical, ridiculous, over-the-top approach into a very directed kind of sniper fire approach to really helping people get better. Um, And so maybe that's, maybe that was part of the plan from the beginning. So if so, God, good looking out. Uh, But it's just kind of one of those deals where I feel like uh, overall my forthrightness has gotten me in a lot of trouble, but I feel like I've kind of reined that in a little bit up to this point. All right. Next question. What is the best piece of advice you have ever gotten? Um, okay. Uh, without getting too far into the entire story, cause that would take a long time to tell the entire story. Um, I used to work for, uh, the president of the university of central Oklahoma, William Roger Webb. We just called him P Webb, president Webb. Um, and I actually got his scholarship to go to the University of Central Oklahoma. It's uh, called the President's Leadership Council Scholarship. It's given to about 25 students every year out of the, you know, 11, 1200 that apply. Uh, my wife actually got it the next year. That's how she and I met was at the retreat. Um, but, you know, we got a lot of FaceTime with the president of the university, which I mean, for any of you guys that went to college, how many 
times did you get to just sit and chat with the president or the the chancellor of your university? It just doesn't really happen. But this is a guy that even, you know, since I've been out of college for a very long period of time, he's a guy that I still talk to periodically. We'll still go to eat lunch and, and different things like that. So he is one of my mentors. He's a guy that gives me good advice and a guy who I will listen to on just about everything. Um, but there was something that happened with this job that I had where it was an unbelievably competitive job and we get all the way to the end and by any measure, by any metric whatsoever that you wanted to use, I far and away exceeded and outperformed every single other person that I was with. And I mean, this was a job that like 20,000 or so people applied for, you know, it got down to kind of a final three people and they were kind of picking the winner of this overall thing. And again, like I said, by every metric possible, I smoked everybody. I did exactly what was required of me, but I didn't win this thing within this job. I did not win kind of that final thing. And so I'm, I'm at, obviously I'm flabbergasted. I'm, I'm heartbroken. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm all those different things. And I was going in to do kind of a wrap up, uh, interview at the end of this whole deal. And that's kind of the normal thing that you do. You kind of do that, that exit interview type of thing. And I was ready to go in and let them have it. Right. I was just going to give them a piece of my mind and I know what y'all did. And you know, why would you screw me and blah, 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 you know, all this piss and vinegar. And so I talked to uh, President Webb and I basically said, hey, this is my plan. And he just very calmly again, because he, you know, this guy's in his seventies, he knows how to handle young bucks. He just goes, look, I don't think in the history of business that anyone has ever changed their business based off of what someone said during an exit interview. And he's like, if you think about it, if you're still inside the company and you're surrounded by people that are still inside the company, And then someone comes to you who is on their way out of the company and says something that is critical towards you. How, how much weight would you put in what they're saying? Now, for the most part, you might get some of the best advice and some of the most honest answers and feedback from people that are in that exact scenario. But the the thing remains the same is they're on their way out. They honestly don't really care what happens in this scenario, right? So he's like, Kyle, why would you waste your effort? Like, like, why would you go in there guns blazing and try to, you know, burn the entire place down? Like, just go in there, thank them for their time, thank them for the opportunity that they provided you and move on with your life. And I was like, huh, okay, well, I guess I'll do that. So I did. I went in, I said, thank you. I I did my smiles. I shook hands and I walked out of there. And I don't regret it because there's nothing that would have been gained by me or for me or any of the people that I love by going in there and just flaming them. Right? So that is the single best piece of advice that I've ever gotten in a particular context. All right. Next question here. I really like to travel, but I feel like I'm running out of great places to check out. What is the most beautiful place you've ever been to? Okay. So, um, I've done quite a bit of of traveling around the world. I haven't done as much as I'd like to. Um, I thought New Zealand was an amazing, amazing place. It's kind of like Oklahoma with an accent, just, just, but it's just gorgeous out there. The people were amazing. Uh, Rome is probably uh, my favorite city in the world to visit just because of all the history. And again, that's like the third time I think this podcast has came up with Roman history, but The most beautiful place that I've ever been to has to be, hands down, the Amalfi Coast in Italy. And so uh, Google the Amalfi Coast and just get ready to see some of the most insane looking scenery. Uh, But the thing about it was, is the the ride, the bus ride we took to kind of get to the town of Amalfi, um, 
it was this windy road and you know i was even getting like a little bit sick because it's like oh my gosh we just ate all this italian food now we're on this super windy road going back and forth but at one point i look out the window and i honestly can't tell where the water stops and the sky starts it was like the weirdest thing. I was like, is there like a weird glare on the window right now? Like, like what exactly is happening? But I'm just basically looking out into the earth and I just, I just saw this basically sheer glass sheet of beautiful. That, that's essentially all that I saw. And so, man, that, that is by far the most beautiful place I've ever been to. So if you ever get an opportunity, definitely take your girl there. Like not saying it wouldn't be cool with a bunch of dudes, but it's probably one of the most beautiful romantic places I've ever been to. So you should definitely check that out. All right. Next question here. I'm having trouble finding a long-term relationship with a girl that loves Jesus. What should I do? Um, Okay. So, well, the interesting thing about this question is, is there's a couple of guys in my life that I love. I absolutely love these dudes. And, uh, both of them, I, you know, they're kind of in their later thirties and, you know, these are guys that want to be married. They want to have families, uh, but they're just not there yet. They haven't found the right girl or, or whatever the situation may be. And it, man, it sucks. And I hate it for him. And, and the reason that I hate it for him is because I feel like they've got an unbelievable amount to offer to a relationship, uh, and to a marriage. Um, and specifically if they procreate to like, to kids, like they're going to raise kids that are going to multiply and become great, you know, citizens and, you know, raise other great citizens and kind of stave off some of the nonsense that we're seeing in this world, just because I know how their parents' minds are and all those types of things. And so that's what I want for these guys. But at the same time, um, I don't think that they should settle just for the first available person that that's willing to marry them. I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but it's just kind of one of those deals that if you're having trouble finding a long-term relationship with a girl that loves Jesus, perhaps you're not looking in the right places. So let me talk more generally now. I'm not you know talking about anyone in my life in particular. If you're, you're looking for a girl that loves Jesus and you're on dating sites that don't use religion as a metric, maybe that's something. Um, if you're not in kind of singles groups or going to things at, at your church, or if your church doesn't kind of have a wide swath of people that you can meet and get to know, maybe that's a problem, right? Um, cause again, it's like, if you're, if you're fishing in a pond that, you know, doesn't really have any dedication to the gospel or any type of like Christian, you know, ministry or discipleship or community or anything like that. It's like, you might get lucky and find a girl that loves Jesus, but you don't want to become, you know, a missionary dater. You know, you meet a girl that's really, really nice and really, really hot, but then, you know, you're having to like try to convince her that Jesus was a real person. It's like that, that may not be the best thing for you overall. You might end up selling yourself down the river a little bit. Um, but my biggest advice that I would give to those people is you, you can't just keep sitting around and, and waiting for someone to come to you. Um, and so for, for whoever's asking this question, it's like, I'm assuming something about you, but maybe you're not as active in the dating scene as you should be perhaps. Um, again, maybe you're not fishing in the right places. Maybe you've got really stupid friends, right? And maybe when you're around those friends all the time, they, they kind of like make you smell bad. You know, it's, I mean, if all your friends are out, you know, doing drugs all the time and they're drunk and getting in bar fights and all that crap. And if you're constantly hanging around somebody like that, maybe that rubs off on you a little bit. Maybe it just kind of stains you a little bit, right? So uh, 
I mean, buddy, I feel for you again. I, I can't really level with you because I met the girl I was going to spend the rest of my life with when I was 18 years old. And, you know, man, it just it sucks for you. But but again, just let me encourage you that if if you don't feel like Jesus is calling you to a life of singleness, if you don't feel like you're being told that, you know, you will worship and and glorify God by being single, then it would make sense that there's someone out there for you. And gosh, if you haven't prayed for it, do that. I mean, I've, I probably should have said that from the top. Dude, just just pray. Pray that she comes into your life. And, and here's the other thing. At the same time that you're praying for that, pray that you can become the person that she would want to be around and want to be with. That That's kind of the cool thing that if you're single, but, you know, ready to mingle, ready to get uh, find a wife and those types of things, it's like make sure you're the type of guy that she would want. Because you're in a unique opportunity where you can work on yourself a lot. Because regardless of if, you know, you have a lot of things to do at work or if you've got, you know, a pet or if you like volunteer and do things at the church or, you know, with some sort of nonprofit or whatever the thing might be, you still got time. You've got time to really work on yourself. And so, you know, you know, make sure that you're reading and, and make sure that you're working out and make sure that you're, you know, working on those those rough parts about your personality. Get those things smoothed out before you find her. Right. I mean, you're still going to change when you get to her. That's one of the great things about having a good woman is they can change you and smooth out those rough areas that you didn't even know you had. But again, uh, I'm I'm sorry for you. I know you probably don't want want me to be uh, saying it that way, but man, I, I can't imagine that that girl's not out there for you. I mean, it's not some you know romantic comedy type of thing, but it's just like, dude, pray for it. Be the type of guy she would want, and then uh, you know, I assume it'll happen for you. All right, guys, as we, uh, I guess we're getting to the last section here. It looks like we've got a, b- a bunch of would you rathers. Okay. So I guess would you rather questions are getting uh, popular now. So we're just going to kind of blow through these and then we'll be done with the episode for today. So here we go. The first, would you rather, would you rather lose the ability to speak or read? Okay. Would you speak or read? Um, I think I would rather lose the ability to read. Um, because if you can speak, I think by 33, I feel like I've, I've read a lot and I've experienced enough to where I could feel like I could speak my way through the rest of my life. Now, if it was like, you know, you couldn't speak since birth or read since birth, I think it might be different, but yeah, I'd rather lose my ability to read. All right. Next one. Would you rather be able to fly or teleport? Oh dude, this one's easy. Teleport. I think I was even asked something earlier about if you could have one, you know, uh, superpower, what would it be? But here's the thing about flying. People are like, well, why would you want to teleport if you could fly somewhere? That'd be cool. It's like, well, what if you wanted to go to like Bangladesh or Spain or something? That's a long flight. And it's just you up there, right? I mean, you're just going to fly over the ocean. No big deal. I mean, maybe that would be cool, but I would just rather snap my fingers and just be wherever I wanted to be. That one's easy. All right. Next one. Would you rather be able to control animals with your mind or electronics with your mind? Man, these are good. Um, I think I would want to be able to control animals with my mind because, just, sorry, just bump the mic. Just bump the mic. We're good. We're good. All right. No earthquakes. I think I would want to do animals. I think I would want to be able to control animals with my mind because how dope would it be if you were like, you know, on a hiking trip, right? I just talked about a hiking trip I went to recently. And what if I could like summon the the nearest grizzly bears to like come to our camp and I'd be like, hey, guys, don't worry about it. They're, they're, they're friendly grizzlies. And like, hey, this one's my buddy. Let me just hop on his back and ride around real quick. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine like being like in the Bahamas 
and you like get some bull sharks to come hang out with you and everyone's like all scared to death running around and you're just like hanging from one of their fins letting it pull you through the water dude tell me that wouldn't be the dopest thing in the world now it would be cool to control electronics with your mind but i just gotta tell you i would i think the animal thing would be one of the coolest things ever i think i'd probably have to be in vegas and have one of those you know big kind of magic-y type show things but you know controlling animals would be pretty cool next question would you rather be a (laughs) okay uh, okay, here we go. I'm going to get this out. Would you rather be a reverse centaur or a reverse merman? Okay, so I guess a reverse centaur would be instead of having the, you know, the top half of a human and the bottom half of a horse, I would have the top half of a horse. Uh, or I guess the other side would be the top half of a merman. So I guess I'd be a fish up top. Um, okay. So if I'm a reverse centaur, do I have horse legs? Because I mean, if I mean, that would be kind of cool because I'm assuming horse legs are faster than my legs. So I think that'd be pretty cool. But to be honest with you, I think I'd take a reverse merman because then I would assume that I don't just have a fish head. I would assume that I would have some fins and gills. So that'd be pretty cool. Can explore things, kind of swim, right? I feel like that would be a little bit easier. So yeah, we'll go we'll go with reverse merman to whoever weirdo wanted to ask me this question. All right, next one. Would you rather be constantly tr- uh, tired no matter how much you sleep or constantly hungry no matter how much you eat? Oh, that's terrible. Uh, I don't want either of those. Um, well, I feel like if I was constantly hungry, then I would just be constantly eating, right? And it would be kind of really hard to not become like a gigantic fatso, right? But I mean, when you're sleepy and when you sleep and you feel like you haven't got a whole lot of sleep, I mean, just your brain doesn't function as well. You're tired during your workouts. I mean, all those things happen. So I think I would go with, to be honest, I'd probably go with constantly hungry no matter how much I eat because I feel like I could be disciplined with that. But if I didn't have good rest, I feel like I'd lose it. All right, next one. Would you rather be feared by all or loved by all? I think that one's pretty easy. If you're if you're a secularist, you probably want to be feared by all. But I mean, being a Christian, obviously, I think you would want to be. You know what? Actually, just as I was saying that, if you're like a devout, gospel-centered Christian, you're not going to be loved by all, right? I mean, Jesus told us that. So here, here I am getting theological right in the middle of this question. Um, would you rather be feared by all or loved by all? Okay, since I just kind of blew up the little theological thing in my brain, I would probably say feared by all because again, we're we're working our way towards a more secular society, way less Christians around, way way less, you know, Jesus stuff in especially here in the West. And so I think people are probably going to get to a point where they're scared of the gospel, and there's probably a good reason for that because they think they're going to have to give something up, which they will, which is living for themselves. And so we'll go with feared by all. I, I don't know if I took it the way that you asked it, but you know, it is what it is. Next question. We got a, a few more here. So here we go. Would you rather be famous when you are alive and forgotten when you die or unknown when you are alive, but famous after you die? Hmm. Okay. Um, you know what? I'd probably say unknown while I'm alive, but famous after I die. Because here's the thing. Most people want to leave a legacy, right? That, that's a really important thing. And to be honest with you, like as a man, I want to make sure I can leave a legacy. But if I'm underappreciated or unknown while I'm alive, and then like after I'm alive, you know, someone finds the stuff that I've produced or this podcast or something like that, and then it becomes like a big deal. I think it'd be cool. I think if nothing else, it'd be cool for my family. It's like, you know, hey, great granddad, you know, said this thing and people thought it was funny or, or you know, whatever the situation might be. So um, I 
I feel like it would be incredibly selfish just to be really, really famous while you're alive and then immediately forgotten. So that's kind of like a lifetime of, you know, flash in the panness or something. There you go. I just coined a new term, flash in the panness. There you go. Moving on to the next one. All right. Would you rather have the power to gently nudge anyone's decisions or have complete puppet master control of five people? Oh, okay. Y'all are trying to get me in trouble. Um nudge anyone's decisions or have complete puppet master control of five people. Okay. I'm just going to put it this way. I would not want puppet control of people. All right. I said earlier, I think it'd be cool to do that for animals. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that for any negative purposes, but you know, just think about if you're in the middle of the woods and you're about to die of hunger, it'd be kind of cool if you can have an elk just walk his way towards you and, you know, sacrifice himself so that you can eat dinner. Um, but I would not want to have control over people. And that's because I've made too many mistakes as a human. Like I, and I just, you know, if you have complete, complete control of another human being, even one, much less five, I think that'd be kind of dangerous, but I would like to be able to gently nudge anyone's decisions. I think anyone that's been in sales or been in any type of influential type area, I think I would like to do that. I would like to think that these podcasts are kind of like that. I would like to kind of nudge people in a certain direction. So, all right, last question here. And then we are done with this episode of Q and A. So here we go. Would you rather go to jail for four years for something you didn't do or get away with something horrible you did, but always live in fear of being caught? Okay, I got to read that again. Would you rather go to jail for four years for something you didn't do or get away with something horrible you did, but always live in fear of being caught? Okay, here's the deal. I would assume something horrible here would be something like, you know, rape or murder, And so I would hope that I would never be in one of those types of situations. But the idea of living in fear, like of being caught, having to constantly look over your shoulder, constantly move around or, you know, not trust people. I feel like that would be terrible. Like that's almost like a lifetime sentence, I feel like. So, I mean, as much as I would suck for, you know, going to jail, going to the pokey for four years for something you didn't do. I mean, that's. Yeah, I, I think four years, as much as that would suck, like I would much rather just do the four years, do my best to have an influence on guys inside of there and try not to die. And then, you know, come out on the other side, having been, I mean, it would kind of suck once you get out of jail because you're still maligned for having gone in and, you know, people think you did something, but yeah, I don't think I could live in fear like that. So man, y'all are like ste- stepping your game up a little bit. Some of these questions were, were super solid. And, and again, guys, if you want to hit us up and give us questions, uh, make sure you just respond to anything on Instagram or shoot me an email at info at undaunted.life. Before we let you guys out of here, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. And so today for the mental side, uh, I'm going to give you the Instagram links to all those uh, guys uh, I guess pages so that you can follow them. So again, that was Juji Mufu, Steve Butcher Tattoos, We the People Holsters, and Pat McNamara, T Max Inc. And so I'm going to give you all those. And again, I'm going to prepare you for this as I think the second or third week in a row that I've said this. But next week, unless something crazy happens in the world or something like that, the next podcast you guys listen to will be my breakdown of the conversation on the Ben Shapiro sh- uh, show, the Sunday special with Robbie Zacharias. And so I've got the link for that for you here because it's an unbelievably interest- interesting hour of your time. And so I would definitely take that down and watch that and listen to it before I give you guys the breakdown. 
All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Google Play, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, like I said at the top of the show, please leave us one. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2019, so if you want me to come speak to your team, to your men's event, to your group, to whatever, just hit me up. Email info at undaunted.life, info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undaunted.life. Life or facebook.com backslash undaunted life. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search undaunted life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.